and the earth <clears throat> and the earth is burned at his presence, yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof and the darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. Let us just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come, Lord, humbly before you, Lord. Lord, we do not need to hear another message of the imaginations of man. But Lord, we need a message from your Holy Spirit onto your people. Lord, we need your Spirit, Lord, to lead us and guide us more than ever in these days that we live in. Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, this morning that you would share your heart with us. Lord, that you would touch your people. Lord, that you would strengthen them, heal them, break bondages. Lord, restore, Lord, what the canker worm has taken away from your people this morning. Lord, I just pray, Lord, for that most Holy Spirit to move through this assembly, Lord, and I pray that they don't see a man but that they see Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What amazes me about the church today is that you don't tend to hear a lot of preaching on the Old Testament anymore. It's almost segregated off, and that is a real shame, because you can't have one without the other. They're intertwined, they're interlinked. And the problem I see when you try and cut off the Old Testament is that Jesus Christ is in every page. So you're cutting part of him off because he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament in the New Testament. So you can't have one without the other. And even in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, it says, Now all things happen unto them for examples. Now Paul's talking about the Old Testament and they are written for our admonishment upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now what he's saying to us is that these are examples unto us. You see foreshadows of the sacrifice, the old Levitical system where the sacrifice, you see the foreshadows of what Jesus Christ went through when he went on the cross. He was the lamb without blemish. But also it's so we don't, We can look back and we don't have to make the same mistakes that they did. When you look at the prophets and everything else, because at the end of the day, they were human beings the same as us. So we can use them examples for our own life. So when we look at Nahum, this book, it was a book I've been studying for a while and it's funny, you know, I, I was writing down some notes so quite a while ago on Nahum and I pretty much thought I'd got this message all sewn up until Wednesday morning the Lord took a dealing with me and then 
completely changed everything that I thought was going to be right about this. So Nahum, we'll look at the prophet first. <clears throat> His name means to console or to comfort. And we really don't know a lot about the author, to be honest with you, because there's not a lot said about him. One thing I didn't find out is that he was a poet. I was reading a few uh, historical Hebrew books, and it's lost in our English language, but actually this is all put down in a poetry form in Hebrew. And it's actually considered a masterpiece of poetry in the Hebrew language. So he was a poet. And you'll find out in the first verse, it calls him an Elkishite. Now I was looking for, for anything to do with this, but I actually found in Jerome, one of the historians highlights that there was a river in North Galilee called the Elkosh. And he says that that is probably where he came from. And funnily enough, not too far from there, there's a village. You probably heard of it in the Gospels called Capernaum. Well, it's actually pronounced Capernaum. So a lot of people say it may have been named after this man. And Nahum would have lived around the reign of Hezekiah, the king. So 650, 630 BC, around that sort of area. But the message that Nahum brings is a profound one. It's very detailed. And it details the complete utter destruction of Nineveh. And this was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was absolutely huge. It was a huge empire. And in fact, the destruction was so complete of this city, and this was a big city, that people thought it was a myth that it never existed until the 1800s when archaeologists started to discover foundations and they realised it was none of the city. And you'll also notice that his message is actually directed towards Judah. So he was actually bringing this message to Judah, the southern kingdom. Um, you'll notice as well, um, if you actually read Jonah, that Jonah had come with a message to Nineveh about a hundred years before to give them a warning of what was to come. So the Assyrian Empire itself expanded massively. It was from Egypt all the way up to Turkey and it covered Iraq and Iran. It also covered some parts of uh, Southeast Europe. So it was absolutely massive. It was uh, half of the known world at that time was under the Assyrian Empire. Uh, Empire. And um, you find at this time the Assyrians had already taken away the northern kingdom of Israel. So there was, there was only the southern kingdom of Judah left. And this city was founded by Nimrod. It was founded by Nimrod. In fact, in Micah 5 and 6, it says, And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. In fact, in Genesis chapter 10, uh, Nimrod is called a mighty hunter before the Lord. But he was a hunter of men. He was a presser. That's what it gives the idea of. He oppressed people. And 
Nimrod decided to get the people together to build a massive tower, the Tower of Babel, I'm sure you've all heard of it. And this was in complete defiance to the Lord. This was in defiance to God. And you can see the power that was behind even that empire then. It was founded by Nimrod. And you can see this antichrist system. The spirit of antichrist in this. So Nineveh, the city itself, was huge. If The dimensions of it is, if you were in the center and you walked to one of the walls, it was about 12 miles. The walls themselves were 100 feet high, and it had 1,500 marksman towers in it, which were over 200 feet high. It was absolutely massive. And it was a main capital in the world at that time for commerce. The Assyrians were known for their cruelty. They were the first ones, if you like, to employ psychological warfare. They would torture their victims for sport. And some horrendous things, I won't go into them, but they did some horrendous things. But you can imagine this massive, massive empire, if you like, on the map. And there was a dot. That was Judah. They were completely surrounded by them. Just this one dot on the map. And you'll find the time period of Nahum would have been around 2 Kings, uh, chapters 18 and 19, and Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. But you'll find that Assyria was taking taxes from Judah. And they were starting to ramp up the taxes with every year that went by. The burden was increased upon the land of Judah. So the king of Assyria at that time was Sennacherib. And he sent his messages to completely terrorise them. He says, we're coming for you. We're coming against you. So King Hezekiah does the only thing that he can. He seeks the Lord. Comes before him, kneels before him, they seek the Lord. And so this massive army that surrounded them Isaiah the prophet comes in and tells the Lord, and I'm paraphrasing now, but he says, I'm going to deal with the Assyrians. And that night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed by an angel. There's a lesson there, you don't mess with angels, isn't there? So they were killed, and funnily enough, uh, I actually saw something the other day on the, on the internet where it showed you a, a mass grave outside the very spot. And they couldn't understand it because all the soldiers seemed to be from the same side and they couldn't understand where the enemy was. Enemy soldiers were. And uh, there was a man there that knew his Bible and he says, I do. He says, that was the angel's hand that did it. So it's amazing to see. But when you read the book of Nahum, the first thing that strikes you is the sovereignty of God. The complete and utter sovereignty of God. He has complete authority over the nations. And it's no more apparent than when you see it in these verses in the book of Acts. In chapter 17, 24 through 26. Listen to this. God that made the world and all things therein. Seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with man's hands as though he need anything, 
saying, He giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So it's the Lord that appoints a nation. He gives it time. And then it's, it's by his hand that they rise and they fall. We must remember this. Even in this day and age, it's by his hand. Now if we go back to verse 1. The word that struck me there was the word, the burden. He calls it the burden of Nineveh. And when you get actually into the Hebrew, it says the burden of the word that the Lord had placed upon him. In Hebrew, it's Massa, and it gives the idea of a massive weight of responsibility that had been given to Nahum. So much so that it's, uh, it gives the idea that his heart desired to have it lifted from off it. He struggled with it. And even this heavy judgment that was got up would come on the Assyrian Empire. Do you think Nahum was really going to have it all that easy? When he went to people and say, you see this massive empire? The Lord's just got to bring it all crumbling down. You see that massive city? It's got to become nothing. You had to know that it was going to be a hard sell for Nahum to tell the people that. They were in the grips of fear of this empire at the time. They were terrified of it. But it just shows you, we have a responsibility, not only in that time, but in this time, for the word of God. We don't realise it, but what we hold in our hands this morning, we are responsible for it. We're responsible to keep it, We're responsible to preach it. We're responsible to deliver it as it should be delivered. And there should be no compromise on it. Even no matter how far-fetched it seems to people. We have to remember, God is almighty. And he can do all things. But we seem to forget this. I often think, where's the burden Of the word of God. In God's people. Where is it? Do we get weighed down with it? Do we feel it even? But it should be there. One of the scriptures I've read many, many times. Is Jeremiah 20. If you'd like to turn to it please. I want to show you this. You look at Jeremiah and he's had enough of preaching God's word. He becomes disillusioned with it. Because of the reaction of the people and everything seems to be going against him. Nobody's listening, seems to be listening to him. And everybody seems to be against it, even his own family. So Jeremiah 20, and we'll start at verse 7. Your eye run down to verse 7. O Lord, thou hast deceived me. And I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocked me. For since I speak, I cry out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord 
was made a reproach unto me. I am a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. There's a real weariness in God's people this morning. You have to be blind or spiritually cut off not to feel it. But do you think we were the only ones that's ever been there? Do you think we're the only ones that's ever gone through it? But this man you can see is in despair. But he says, the word's burning in me. I know the word of God and it's there. Where's the word this morning in your brother? Where is it, sister? Is it on a shelf gathering dust while you watch telly? Because trust me, that'll make you more depressed than anything else. Where should it be this morning? It should be right in your heart. Because it's that word that will pull you through in the darkest of times. Jeremiah was starting to realise this at his lowest point when people were mocking him. He was in stocks at one point and they were throwing all the rubbish of the day at him. But it was the word that kept him. The word of God. And look at this, just at his, at his lowest point. Let your eye run down to verse 10. For I heard the defaming of many. Look, fear on every side. That's what we have today. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watch for my halting, saying, Pre-adventure, he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. Now look at verse 11, and I want you to see this. I want you to see this. But the Lord is with me. Amen. Amen. Can we say that this morning? But the Lord is with me. But the Lord is with me. As a mighty terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble. And they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. For they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. The Lord's with us this morning. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. What the news says, what the EU's doing, the Lord's with us this morning. We have to remember that. We have to remember that Jonah was given a burden. If you like Jonah, the book of Jonah could be the, almost the history of Nineveh, volume one, and then Nahum could be volume two. And Jonah went to Nineveh about a hundred years, as I said before, Nahum. In fact, he took a ship going the other way. And then a storm arose. He was cast into the sea. He was swallowed up by a great fish. That's where a lot of people have a stumbling block with that one. And he was there for three days before he even prayed for the Lord to get him out of it. I mean, that's just stubborn, isn't it? But Jonah comes with the word of God. And in Jonah 3 and verse 3, it tells you how he got on. 
He says, so Jonah arose and went into Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You see what I mean? There was no compromise on that word. That was it. This is it. Your time's up. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Listen, for the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, laid his throne from him, robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. We have to remember Jonah here He gave them the word. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't make it flowery. He just gave them the word. And the word went through that city. And that generation repented before God and got right. But I want you to see something else. And I've looked at a lot of books and and commentaries on this. And it's never mentioned. But it's something that stood out on me. Because a hundred years later or so, you get Nahum saying this about the very same city. Nahum chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9. Look what he's saying about the very same city. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. Do you know what that city was judged on? Now, was it judged on its violence? Absolutely. Was it judged on its cruelty? Yes, it was. But you know what was the final nail in the coffin? Was the word of God came to it. And they started to reject it. They rejected the word. And we forget this, that this word, or the word, was the very first title of Almighty God. The word. Whether we like it or not, nations are judged on it. But so are people. What we hear, we are got to bear responsibility for. When we hear the word of God. And you see when nations or even people have one foot in the world and one foot, as they say in the church... They play a very dangerous game because one day the Lord will say enough. Even in John 3 and 18 and 19 it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When the world, or even the church, starts to turn its back on the word, we're in trouble. We need to keep this word, brother, sister. So if you look back at verse 1 in Nahum, says the the book of the vision. And I actually had a look at this Hebrew word book. 
and it's zerpa. And it means a writing used of a legal document and an official record of historical events. Isn't it amazing that how sure that this word of God that was come to Nahum was that it was being recorded as a historical event before it even happened. They were writing this down and recorded it before it happened. So when you look at this book of Nahum or whenever you read it, and I hope you do, because it is a wonderful and beautiful small book to read, we find it is about destruction, it is about vengeance, but the one thing that runs through all this is because there is an outside influence trying to oppress God's people with fear. They're trying to hold them in fear and oppression. And that is one thing the Lord will not have. That's why his name is Comfort. Because when this word went out onto his people, they knew that Nineveh and the Assyrians' time had been numbered. And I just want to have a look at a few verses as you go down. We've read them. I just want to go through them again. Which is the character of God. We'll go through, start with verse 2. It says, For God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and revert reserve his wrath for his enemies. You notice how angry that it says vengeance twice. This is how angry the Lord is. And you see jealousy, we think of a jealousy like, let's say for instance, a man is jealous over his wife or something. But that's not the type of jealousy that it means here. The Hebrew gives you a a different meaning to it. And it means a burning zeal for what is rightfully his and a burning zeal for the welfare of his people. That's what it means. And Second Thessalonians 1 and 6, and Paul says this, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that have troubled you. Do you get that this morning? Your enemies are God's enemies. Remember that this morning. And yet so many times we try and fight our own battles. You know what the best thing to do, brother or sister? Give it to him. Let him sort it out. Because I've done it myself. I have tried and tried. And I've made a mess of it every time. And now I just think, Lord, you're going to have to take this. No matter what is coming against me. Lord, you're going to have to take this. Because you do a better job than I do. So that's the passion of God in verse 2. Verses 3 to 6, you see the patience and the power of God. Starting at verse 3, it says, The Lord is slow to anger, look, the patience of him, and great in power and will not acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds of the dust of his feet. Did you know, I didn't know this, Did you know that clouds are actually made up of dust particles? That's amazing. This man's writing this down, the dust of his feet. Clouds are actually made up of dust particles. Verse 4 says, 
He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, which he already did in Exodus for Moses. He dry up all the rivers of Bashan languishes and Carmel, the flower of Lebanon, Lebanon languishes. The mountains quake and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence, yea, the world and all that there dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and rocks are thrown down. When you actually read in this verse, in the Hebrew verses, it's absolutely beautiful. It gives you the idea of somebody that is in complete and utter control of all power. Absolutely. But it gives the idea as well that he has absolute mercy in using it. In other words, somebody will never, ever be able to go before the Lord and say, I didn't know. I didn't have the chance. Because you see, when the Lord's anger is poured out on somewhere, you can rest assured that there was no other way. That was it. All chances, everything had been exhausted when the Lord's fury is poured out on something or a nation. Look at this, Nahum 1 and 7, beautiful verse. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. It doesn't matter where we are today. And I know because, you know what, we look at our nation and it's in an awful state. We look at the nations of the world and governments are failing. Nations are, are rising against the nations, we can all see it. Sure, even look at what's happening there. You know, even with the the European Union, and I know we talk about it a lot, but let's face it, are you not glad that you've got somebody in a pulpit that has a burden for the word of God? Just as Nahum did, was warning and saying, look, look at Nineveh, it's got a fall. You'd be in problems if you didn't. You've got somebody that's telling you the truth here. And you see the European Union... It's got to come down. Because God sees it. Let me tell you, I've read many, many instances how they've been locking people up for preaching the word. They've been taking children or families. That's true. It's happened in Norway. Because they're Christians. Let me tell you, you don't think the Lord sees that. And he is angry. And he will take vengeance. And trust me, brother, sister, he will. He will. So trust in him today. Trust in him. Psalm 46 and 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So the days in which we live, we can see throughout the whole of the Bible that there's always been an antichrist system that come against the Lord's people, always. Whether it be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Roman Empire, it didn't matter. There was always a system that was trying to control everything. And the day and the hour that we live in is no different. We have an antichrist system that is coming against God's people. But let me say this, and this is a verse 
that should make the nation shudder. And this is what Nahum prophesied as well in chapter 3 and 5. Listen to this. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a nation and the Lord saying, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And you notice how he goes, the Lord of hosts. That's his title for the general of the armies of the heavenly hosts. He says, And I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. Look, brother and sister, let me tell you something. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen to this oppressive regime. That's what's going to happen to the things or the nations that will come against God's people. We have a responsibility. Keep the word of God. And to be led by his spirit. And we keep that brother, sister. The hand of the Lord will be upon us. Always. We keep Christ in our hearts. It doesn't matter what's going to come against us. It doesn't matter how powerful a nation is. Behold, God is against it. Remember that. God is against it. We have our part to play. Christianity is being targeted and it is being targeted. We have our part to play. How's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? We need to get back into relationship with Christ because you can look at everything else, but it isn't going to help you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ getting into that relationship with him, getting that closeness with him because we are getting so close, brother and sister, to the return of the Lord. The bride needs to be prepared for the bridegroom. And I mean it now. Maybe your heart's gone a bit cold. Maybe the things of the world start to creep in, but let me tell you something. You see, the things that are to come, we need to be ready. And we need to be in relationship with Christ more than ever. That verse that you've all heard of, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Brother, sister, that's what we need to do. Our relationship with Christ needs to be the epicenter of our whole lives because he will honour us. The only burden that we were ever meant to carry was not what we see on the tally. It's not what we see when we see all this nonsense with the governments and everything else. The only burden we were ever, ever made to carry was the word of God. And that's what we should carry everywhere we go is the word. And remember that. And it's funny what, what the Spirit spoke this morning. And this was my last verse that I had written down. Isaiah 43 and 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. 
For I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thy passeth through the waters, I will be with thee. And though the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, I shall not be burned. Neither shall the flames kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel. Thy Saviour, I give Egypt for thy ransom. Ethiopian Seba for thee. See this morning, brother and sister. I know God's people are weary. I feel it. But let me tell you something. The word of God is as true today as it was back in Nahum's time. It's as true today as it's ever been. And let me tell you something. All these systems that seem to be coming against us. All this trouble. It's all got to be brought to nothing. Because the Lord sees it. Thank you for listening. Your attention has been great. I hope you got something from that this morning. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you.